This is Polyoptics, shining a light on the theater of politics. Now, from Washington, D.C., here's Adam Belmar. Thanks for joining us as we pull back the curtain on the events that shape American politics and drive the images and headlines. Polyoptics, the only show of its kind on the air today, and it's only on POTUS, Politics of the United States. This week, Al Jazeera English. We'll spend some quality time with the man behind the burgeoning news gathering operation, Bob Wheelock. He's a former network newsman who's done almost every major mainstream TV news job there is to do until now. Then Gun for Hire, the story of one journeyman advance lead and how love of the game, patriotism, and polyoptics prowess have turned into a wonderful career. George Jujikos of Teleon Corp. joins us for a lively Keep It Real talk about what happens on the road in the advanced game. But first, I'm joined from our New York studios by my co-host, Josh King, co-founder of the website polyoptics.com. Josh was production chief in the Clinton administration, the same role I played in the George W. Bush White House. Josh, great to be with you. Adam, great to be with you. One of those weeks when, uh, like a 67 Mustang that stays in the garage for a while, President Obama took Air Force One out of the garage, flew it across the country to Las Vegas this week to make his long-awaited immigration speech in front of a bank of American flags. You know what? It's it's a polyoptics conundrum, and yet there are those, the Drudge Report and others, who would love to make hay about what it costs per flight hour to fly that big bird. And it drives me nuts. Nuts that people would undermine the president, his mandate to move the country forward, his initiative on immigration, just as much as it annoys me that the president could have been standing out back in front of that same bank of flags. Right, exactly. I I think the presidency is a travel job. Uh, You do move around the country. But what I have argued is let the history books show where he went. Let let an immigration speech in Nevada look like an immigration speech in Nevada, not exactly like his race speech in Philadelphia in 2008. I mean, I what I've said on the website was how will the archives or historians be able to distinguish one from the other except for a little more gray hair in the president's head. They were exactly the same set. You are absolutely right. The visual cues and reference points for the president's use of the bully pulpit have been extremely uh, generic, um, if not uh, generically American with those flags. But I want to applaud him for doing what he did by taking the initiative and being out there and engaging in an important state like Nevada. But uh, they, they've come so far only to fall back into this uh, knee-jerk blue drape and flags, Josh. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so it, we talked about last week, Adam, all the pomp and circumstance that surrounded the inaugural. This week had one major presidential event, uh, his visit out to Nevada. He's now sort of gone down or gone quiet for the week, made a few staff appointments. Uh, but what you see coming to the fore is the action later on in the week uh, in the Senate. First, the resignation of uh, Senator Kerry from Massachusetts, a tearful resignation as he spoke from the same desk that once uh, once served Edward Kennedy and before that President John F. Kennedy as he moves over to become Secretary of State. And then a day later in a committee hearing room, Chuck Hagel being grilled uh, by his former colleagues, uh, John McCain, Lindsey Graham and others uh, on his confirmation hearings for Secretary of Defense. 
Yeah, in many ways, this week in Washington has been a process week uh, marked by personalities. And uh, and the hearings this week uh, with uh, former Senator Chuck Hagel are going to uh, show a lot about uh, what it takes to uh, to lead the Department of Defense and just exactly how differentiated his background is from his predecessors. But I, I'm really excited, uh, Josh, on this week's episode. We have with us in studio in New York... Uh, my mentor in television news, the man who gave me my first break at ABC and Good Morning America, somebody who's done so much and continues to look for that next big challenge, and he's found it. Bob Wheelock, welcome to Polyoptics. Uh, Adam, thank you very much, and Josh, hello. Hello, Bob. Welcome. Uh, Bob Wheelock uh, was, when I came to know him, Josh, uh, somebody who was working with you and your team uh, during the Clinton administration. Bob was for almost a decade, the, the running the Washington office of ABC's Good Morning America. That's right. I mean, in all phases of the day, in our years, it was Good Morning America, the White House reporters uh, led at, by the return of Sam Donaldson, and then into the evening, Peter Jennings, World News Tonight, and then uh, into late night with Ted Koppel. ABC was the brand uh, that we were so focused on. I can remember, and Bob probably does too, this great sort of five-night uh journey that Ted and his crew from Nightline did with us on our first trip through Russia and Switzerland and Belarus uh, was an amazing set of, uh, of five shows that I think uh, uh, really showed us the incredible potential of what happens when you open yourselves up and when you allow cameras in close. Bob, that's that's really the epitome of what you were able to do as a, a leader at ABC News and in, and in other jobs that we'll talk about. But uh, give us a sense of what it was like to be one of the biggest and most important fixtures uh, as a as a senior producer for a network television show in Washington and dealing with the presidency for as long as you did. Uh, it was it was it was an honor. It was an honor to work at ABC uh, most of my career. Four great years at NBC in between. Uh, I was born and raised in Washington, so I love the city. And and every day when I would walk into the White House, if I did it, you know, on a day or when I go to the Capitol, I still get a great feeling. To me, you know, those are two of the most magnificent buildings in the world. And, and I would walk into the briefing room to go talk to one of our reporters and try to have a meeting with the people like Josh and try to set up something. And I just say to myself, I can't believe I'm getting paid for this. This is really cool. Um, I still get that feeling. I have to admit, um, it is something special. You know that you're you're in a place where decisions are being made and people's lives are being affected. And to the extent that you can translate that and help people understand the process, as well as the hope for solutions, uh, it's a great responsibility. And as I say, it was an honor. This is why uh, you're here today. Uh, a lot of our guests on Polyoptics. Are, are practitioners, people out there who are shaping message or involved in advance. But you're a visual storyteller. And as you mentioned, you spent a number of years at NBC News. You were a, a, a senior broadcast producer with the Today Show. So your your experience in morning television in network news is uh, better than just about anybody else's. You also spend time with David Brinkley working on the Sunday show this week with David Brinkley. So you've been around the horn both uh, at ABC, at NBC. Uh, talk for a second about the inner workings of politics and television news. It's not just about reporting the news. It's about making it accessible and trying to find a dynamic way to tell these stories, isn't it, Bob? 
It is, and, and particularly for a morning show, uh, which is a little different audience. It's again, you you know, how does this impact my life? You know, or my life. How am I? How how? Why should I care about this story? Um, because to be honest, you'll you'll hear it all day long, and you'll hear a debate on immigration. You know, uh, so you got to try to make it personal. You got to try to bring it home to people. Uh, obviously, some things are easier than others. If it's economic, while while usually not the most visually stimulating story, uh, it is something that everyone cares about. It it affects them. Uh, in every phase of their life, from from their own paychecks, their their retirement plans, their children's college fund, how they pay for health care, again, all these things you know spin around out of Washington and come out of Washington. Um, so it it actually you know you've got a lot on your plate to choose from. How you how you then, as I say, translate that and put it to a viewer is the challenge of the job. Uh, you mentioned David Brinkley, uh, you know, again, one of the great storytellers. And if uh, and if I may say, I was lucky to have him as a bit of a mentor. And David could could write less and say more than anybody I ever worked with. Uh, and and he spoke to the people. Didn't always say what was popular with with the the the, the, the power lead in Washington, but always had their respect. And and I sort of used that as my baseline whenever we tried to do anything uh, for ABC News or NBC News when I worked there. It's about telling the truth and, and still maintaining and, and having the respect of the people you're covering so that you're brought back and, and you can continue to keep the dialogue going and, and translate those stories. Bob, before we get to your current role in Al Jazeera, what distinguishes, in your view, the product of the morning show of old, maybe Diane Sawyer and Charlie Gibson, with what you see now on ABC with George Stephanopoulos, on NBC with The Today Show? Their competitors on cable with Morning Joe and Fox and Friends and other things that are stimulating us in the morning and trying to get us informed. What was the sort of product that was put out to viewers back then compared to what you see today? And given that Jeff Zucker has come to CNN and vowing to remake their morning product, where do you think it can go? Yeah, and I worked with Jeff. Actually, Jeff worked for me for a short time. There's a sad thing of my career. <laughs> uh, we got along great, but Jeff went on to great heights. He's a he was a tremendous, tremendous control room producer, and and, and wasn't afraid to try anything. It was like my son when he was young with a computer, didn't know he could break it. Um, the the shows now I think offer less news. Um, I think you can look at the numbers. The newscasts themselves are shorter. Uh, the news content is shorter. Um, it's always a really difficult balance in morning television because, you know, a lot of what is news is not pleasant and, and the pictures are sometimes tough to watch. And the balance you always tried to keep was how do we inform people, tell them what they should know, show them what they should see. And yet, you know, when they leave the house going to school or work, you know, have them feel like, you know, it, it's going to be a good day. So you do that mix of, of, of other stories, feature stuff, consumer news, health stuff, entertainment, um, to try to, you know, lift some of the doom and gloom that can exist on a, on a tough news day. Uh, having said that, any of these shows still, if, if, you know, God forbid there's a 9-11 or that kind of story, they throw out everything and they stay on that story. Um, that's your obligation. You know, you're, you're owned by the news division. They are news employees and they're news people first. But it is a real balancing act, and I think it shifted more towards the lighter stuff and, and just good conversation and feeling good, uh, trying to take a little of the hard edge off the news. 
Now, compared to GMA, the ratings for Morning Joe are not enormous. They're infinitesimal, actually, by comparison. And yet, are, are you gratified at all by sort of the substance and quality of the conversation that can go on for three hours from six to nine if it's really smart people, even if they're from different sides of the couch? Yeah. And, and to be honest, you know, that's a nice segue into why Al Jazeera is going to do what it's going to do. We think there's an audience out there that does want smart, intelligent coverage of not only this country, but the world. We think that, you know, again, people were having a good conversation, conversation rather than a shouting match, especially in the morning, uh, is welcome. Uh, but at the exchange of ideas, the exchange of dialogue, and, and the disagreement, and again, if you're a good host or an anchor, you, you sort of try to find some common ground, and at the end of it, see if there's not something to move forward on. Uh, but the, the main premise is to inform. Um, in the morning, it's to inform and entertain. And I, you know, I feel a little bad. I think, I think all of the network news has slipped a little more towards entertaining than informing, which is one of the reasons I went to Al Jazeera. And, and as, Adam, as Adam said, you know, sort of took this, this new step. You know, as a new step uh, at Al Jazeera, and I want our, our listeners here at uh, Polyoptics on Sirius XM 124 to know that uh, Bob Wheelock is the executive producer for news gathering for Al Jazeera throughout the Americas. This is a wide uh, berth, uh, an entire uh, hemisphere of the earth that you cover with uh, from Latin America all the way up through North America. Um, and there were a lot of people who tried their hand at this before you took this job, uh, which is to say that it was an effort to get Al Jazeera English stood up but it's really growing now, and you have come in at a time when the network is making huge strides forward and has really gotten uh, a greater penetration into the American consciousness. Uh, you're being quoted widely. You've got strong reporters uh, all around uh, the United States. Talk to us for a second about what you do every day uh, running this burgeoning news gathering business while others are shrinking and you're growing and give us a sense of the the wide uh, array of people and bureaus that you manage it's run like any other news operation adam you know we 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 have you know we we have a morning editorial meeting uh that starts off with our counterparts in london and doha where the which is the world headquarters for al jazeera um after that i have an editorial meeting uh in washington uh, among the various units, the planning team, the news desk, some of the programs we have, and try to decipher, like any, every other news organization ever in existence, you know, what's on the front page, what's on page 12, you know, what do we lead with, what do we close with. Um, again, for me, it's a new experience because we do have a good, strong representation in Latin America, and, and that's an added plus for me, uh, you know, for, for our menu to offer up. And then, uh, again, you know, you have 24 hours to fill, so you, so you can get a lot of content on the air. Is your, is your audience purely an American audience, or is it a global audience? No, it's a global audience, and in fact, you know, more global than American. Uh, most people in the United States, you know, up until this new deal that we've done, have had to stream us offline or get us, you know, on the Internet. Um, having said that, we had a huge Internet traffic, and, and 40% of it, came from the United States. So there's an appetite there. There's an appetite for the type of news we do. Um, my mission when I was brought on was to try to take this excellent writing and try to increase the visual content, bring the visuals up to match the writing. Um, 
you know, to try to help bring up the whole product altogether. Um, and we've made some strides with that. And, and you know, we're going to continue to push on that. Bob, I was reading a uh, article on Al Jazeera by Robert Kaplan a couple of years ago. And uh, he said, indeed, if Al Jazeera were more widely available in the United States on nationwide cable, for example, instead of only on the web or several satellite stations or local cable channels, it would eat steadily into the viewership of the news hour with Jim Lehrer. Al Jazeera, not Lehrer, is what the internationally minded elite really yearns for, a visually stunning, deeply rooted description of developments in dozens upon dozens of countries simultaneously. So how do you match great writing with the visual. Take us, take Adam and me and our listeners into the weeds of how you make a better news product supported by the visual. Well, again, we're fortunate. We do have some great journalists from, from all different organizations around the world who have come to Al Jazeera and the writing level is very high. Um, when we hire people, even, you know, for non on air, there's a writing test, um, which used to be done at the networks, but isn't done quite so common now. Um, and, you know, it's a tough, tough test to pass. Uh, uh, some very good producers who I know who came in to apply for jobs when I started failed the writing test. And it was sort of embarrassing for them and for me. Um, and they weren't hired. Um, visually, look, some of the pictures, you know, a lot of Al Jazeera's reputation came off the Arab Spring. Uh, we had people in the right place at the right time. We deployed people. We had people with great contacts and connections. We had we had former network producers as reporters, and and the content drove the story then. You know, the whole world was taking Al Jazeera's pictures. On a day-to-day basis, we're trying to improve the way we visually tell the stories in places, you know, across the United States by, by trying to, uh, again, uh, seek out and hire better, better camera operators and, and editors, um, I've been trying to work with people, you know, and Adam knows this, you know, boy, when you're covering a hurricane, I don't want to just see the reporter, uh, you know, standing there talking about, you know, the roofs blowing off. I want to see the roof blowing off and, and literally it's breaking habits. And again, because we're so international, there's very different styles, you know, in a lot of, in the, you know, it's very British to stay on the reporter at all times, you know, uh, where I came from and learning from someone like Roger Goodman, you know, once you've established the reporter, I want to hear him or her, but I want to see the story. So, you know, it's moving the camera, making it more active, making the viewer feel like they're there. I've always said one of the great things about this job is that you can take people places they'll never go uh, in their life and show them things they probably would never see. Well, that that is something that we shared together, uh, Josh. Uh, <clears throat> I spent so many years working for Bob Wheelock uh, at Good Morning America, and one of uh, Bob's great strengths, not only as a, as, a, as a leader and a news manager, was developing trust and relationships with people all over Washington, specifically in the federal government. And uh, during the Clinton administration, uh, a great example, I think, was a uh, uh, an origination from, from the White House that GMA did not long after Columbine. Um, uh, it was a gun control... Uh, event that involved the president. And then after 9-11, Bob, we, we, we took America together uh, into the Pentagon on the one-year anniversary of the rebuild. We were on board the USS Enterprise uh, live at sea when it came back from Operation uh, Enduring Freedom uh, in the beginning of our attack against al-Qaeda in Afghanistan. 
you took Americans inside the FBI. Talk for a second about those special shows and some of the access and showing that story that you've been able to do. Um, as you know, Adam and Josh too, because he was part on the other end on some of them. It took a lot of work. It took a lot of meetings. It took a lot of, you know, the White House, what I found was always receptive, but they wanted a little different idea than just, we want to interview the president. Um, the kids and guns special after Columbine, which sadly, I guess, didn't accomplish much since the problem is still with us, um, was extraordinary. And we were able to bring in children and families to the White House with the president and Mrs. Clinton, taking questions from these people face to face, many of whom had, had been affected by gun violence and, and giving them answers um, in typical morning show style, included a musical performance by Sarah McLaughlin out on the street outside the White House, which they blocked off for us. Uh, it was extraordinary. And you felt like at least you drew a lot of attention that day uh, to this problem. Oh, you did. And you had people like Josh King and his legacy in the White House and the Clintons who got that. Yeah. And then other people uh, within the, the Bush administration who saw what was done and said, yeah, that can work. That's an effective way to tell a story, to bring people inside and truly show it. Um, and, I, and I love having you share the story. But what I'm wondering also is, how do you bring that to life within the confines of Al Jazeera? Uh, that's obviously a huge challenge. And, and access in Washington is still a problem for us. Uh, we know that the, the people in the federal government and the and government agencies watch the channel. Um, we don't always get the access we would like to try to do the types of things I'd like to do. It is a work in progress. Uh, we made great strides this election year. Um, we pushed very hard. Um, we, we, you know, I've, I've got a little bit of a corny saying, if you meet us, you'll like us. Um, yeah. And, we, and we, we went out with them and we've gone in their face and we begged and borrowed and jumped on the flights with them. Um, which we were never allowed to travel before, and that's both with the Democrats and Republicans during the campaign. And, you know, they, they got to know us, and, and, you know, we're just normal people like them just trying to do a job uh, with, a, with a mandate to cover the news and, and tell it as truthfully as possible. Um, we don't attend every briefing. We don't have office space uh, in, in, or, or bureau space in some of the government buildings uh, where we would even like to be able to, to have our reporters there every day. So they have to try to work it from the outside looking in. But that's part of who we are, too. You know, we are a little bit on the outside looking in, and we, we kind of like that focus a little bit as well. Well, first of all, I mean, the, the format that you just described, Bob, going back to kids and guns, the notion that you would involve the president with established questioning talent from any journalism organization, whether it's ABC, NBC, or Al Jazeera, and a audience of potentially unscripted questions, Adam, Bob, that seems to have that seems to have gone away forever, existing now only in the highly produced third presidential town hall format debate. And I'm wondering, you know, we used to do it with Clinton all the time, Bob, that yeah. he'd either go to a local market and engage with local anchor talent, or as you said, sometimes with national talent. And the questions would be live, and the answers would be unscripted. But Adam, somehow it got to a point where both both parties would hold these, you know, so-called town hall Q and A formats, in which we would be the beginning to end producers, and we'd invite cameras from the networks or Al Jazeera in to shoot it. But 
God forbid See, we could we could add, allow them to have any editorial control over the questions being asked. Uh, uh, Josh, you're you're right on the money, and I have to say again, only on POTUS. Okay, you wouldn't hear this interview on any other show but Polyoptics, but the entire place could never be coming alive except here on POTUS. What Josh King is describing, and what Bob Wheelock, our guest here. Uh, from Al Jazeera brings to the table is it takes both sides to come together. A willing participant who's confident, like President Bill Clinton always was, in order to take on these risks and challenges to really communicate, and the vision of producers like Bob Wheelock, who could get on the ground, bring the, the editorial and the production to bear, and then Josh King, who could be an interface against these things. Uh, you're absolutely right, Josh. I, I mean, Bob, talk for a second about this, because you have tried to duplicate that sort of lightning in a bottle, and you've had success. You've shown other, other networks how to do it. You have sort of raised an entire... Uh, generation of producers like me who learned uh, at, at your knee, but the opportunities, as Josh describes, are, are increasingly rare. They are. Um, unfortunately, I think, you know, and, it, and it's not one side, by the way, this is, this is both Republicans, Democrats, they've decided that, hey, these are a good idea. This is a great way to get our message out, but we want to control it. And I think a lot is lost because of that, because to be honest, if, if you're, you know, it's not like they ever didn't have control. It was a shared, you said it right, Adam, it was a shared uh, venture, it was a shared opportunity to to bring people in with honest questions, uh, to exchange those ideas. And if you're, you know, to be quite honest, if you're the leader of this country or a senator or a congressperson, you should not be afraid to stand up and talk to the people who elected you. Um, and I, I, I feel that now. I, I feel that a little bit. It, it's it's been tough uh, in the last few years. Uh, the the show I'm probably proudest about is the Pentagon uh, going live from the Pentagon, the the year after 9/11, and Adam knows this. I'm I'm the son of a military <laughs> man, and I took it personally that uh, all the talk was about the victims in New York, and I don't mean to slight anybody, a victim anywhere, Shanksville anywhere, uh, but but the networks being based in New York, it was always what happened in New York, and I. You know, and Adam, God knows, worked hard on this. We were able to put a show through the Pentagon that we visited that day and took us to where they are now. And with some of the victims who are still alive and with the secretary, Rumsfeld, who sat and talked with us. And we had 17 live cameras in the thing. It was a bit like doing a Super Bowl. And we, again, musical performance, Alan Jackson, who had wrote a, a song specific for 9-11 saying, where were you? Um... And we gave a concert in the quad of the Pentagon for the staffers. So, Josh, this is the quintessential polyoptics practitioner, but from another side of the lens. A storyteller who's a, an amazing visual storyteller who is a straight shooter, who brings people in politics and in, in media together to tell that story. Not with an agenda, but just to tell it. There are not enough of those polyoptics practitioners out there, Josh. Well, no, there aren't. And I'm, I, like Adam, uh, Bob, is absolutely curious to know, where were you when you understood that uh, those that, are, that own uh, Al Jazeera had an opportunity to buy into the real estate that current TV represents and suddenly be able to realize this vision that Robert Kaplan had a couple of years ago, that if only Al Jazeera could 
could have real estate and be into billions of households, you'd be able to tell these stories uh, in the United States. So when were you brought into the process and what are the prospects now? What will we be seeing from Al Jazeera in the year and years ahead? Uh, the, pros the, the process started, I think, sort of a year ago. I mean, the distribution attempts have been, have been quite a few over the years and failed. Um, and the process was kept to a very, very small group. And, and to be honest, I was not included in that till, till recently. Um, I started with Al Jazeera less than a year ago, February 6th. Um, it, it was right, or right after Christmas time. You know, they sort of brought me into the fold, too. And said, "This is what's you know, this is what's in play, and and we need you to, you know, help us with this and that, and consult on this, and uh, and there was brought in uh, the deal, you know, went back and forth like most business deals do, and this is a pretty big one. Um, I had plans to be back in New York with my family on New Year's, and uh, ended up alone in my apartment in Washington. I think I was asleep by nine thirty. <laughs> Um, because the deal was underway right around then. It was very tender, and then it came to life about two days later uh, when it was announced. Um, it is a source of huge optimism for us. It's, 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 it's so much of what we want to do to try to have more eyeballs, watch what we do, and whether or not they stay with us, you know, that's up to us. The content will determine whether the American people and, uh, you know, will accept Al Jazeera as a legitimate news organization. We've won a number of awards over the past couple of years. Um, we've won a lot of respect, I think, even by Democrats, Republicans, everybody. Um, there are still a few who want to throw some stones at the, at the station, at the channel, but most of them have never watched it. Um, and we have a lot of plans to try to do, again, some of the same things that, that I used to do on, on other networks on Al Jazeera. If I can, for a second, we have a show called Inside Story America. It's a Nightline-esque format uh, uh, anchor in Washington with some guests. We just decided we were going to do three special shows on, on guns and the gun culture. And the only thing I asked the staff was, the first show has to be from a, from a gun show or a gun store, talking to and hearing from people who believe that this is their right to own a, own a firearm and to hear from them why and let them tell their side. Because I, I honestly think the media, and, and I'm, not in, I'm not in favor of guns, I don't own one, but I honestly think that the media, you know, immediately jumps on, on the one side of this and doesn't or hasn't listened to these folks. Uh, the show aired yesterday. I, I couldn't have been more proud of it. The production values were beautiful. Um, <laughs> The, the video was beautiful. To be honest, the cameraman owns a gun, and he so he understood what the guy was talking about and when he was doing it. Uh, we selected the team carefully. It was people who sort of understood. And I think, we did, I think we accomplished in the first part, you know, what I meant to set forward in that everybody in this country has a voice. I mean, that's, you know, that's what America's about. Al Jazeera is about the voice of the voiceless. Again, another cliche, and I apologize, but it's true. It's, it's why we have 70 bureaus around the world. It's why 80% of the people who get any news in Africa get it from Al Jazeera because they don't trust their state-run television, and they get it by any means possible. Um, you know, we, we try to just put the truth forward and from all sides, and it's not always politically correct, and it doesn't always please everybody. 
but it's editorially correct. And at the end of the day, I sleep pretty well because of that. From a production and a logistics standpoint, putting your EP hat, what do you actually have to do now to establish the presence to match the cable real estate that you have? Are you going to build new studios, Times Square storefront, uh, uh, things like that. And and also, to the extent that we news watchers in the United States are kind of used to acronyms that have been developed over 75 years, Columbia Broadcasting System becomes CBS, National Broadcasting Company becomes NBC. Is Al Jazeera, does it start with a hand tied behind its neck simply because of its Arabic-sounding name? Uh, there are those who say it does. Um, and to be honest, that debate is ongoing. I just left a meeting, one about the programming schedule, uh, but more specifically to your last question, uh, somebody told me, I don't, I don't know where it came from, somebody told me it's the fifth most recognized brand in the world. Uh, that's not all positive. That was someone from Doha. Totally. <laughs> 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 it, you know, it's, it's not all positive. I'm not naive by any stretch. Um, again, we think we've overcome a lot of, of you know, people have called the brand toxic. Um, I don't think it's toxic. Um, I think, I think again, if you give us a fair shake, we'll give you a fair shake. You know, we're trying to put the news back in America and the world back in the news. And, and the, what we're trying to do <coughs> is expand our domestic coverage by adding six more bureaus in America uh, to the five we have, adding four more bureaus in Latin America to the four I have now, plus an extensive stringer network. Uh, no other network in this country has that kind of coverage in term, terms of bureaus and personnel. Um, my biggest frustration has been up till now stories I can't do in the United States because I didn't have enough staff. I didn't have enough reach. Um, you know, you hate to lose a story because so-and-so is working on another story or they're on vacation, that kind of thing, or they're sick. Um, you know, it makes me crazy. I hate losing stories. Um, so we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to have more coverage. Um, the channel needs to meet for the first time ever some different specs and demands. And we're in the process of, of, again, still meeting with the cable distributors. We, you know, we, we will have to have commercial breaks in this one. We've never had to worry about that before. And if I tell you that it's not a huge difference, it's a huge difference for our people who, who do our films, our documentaries, you know, which, again, are a, a backbone of Al Jazeera. Uh, for us to try to figure out how to get the commercial breaks in without disrupting the flow of the channel we're probably the only company in the world that's trying to do less ad time. Um, but well, you, we are. You realize you are on Sirius XM. I do. Um, a supposedly adless, although POTUS <laughs> is uh, a great bastion of the ad-free uh, world here, Channel 120. And I do notice there hasn't, there's been no commercial interruptions. That's right. We've been great. going wall to wall <laughs> with Bob Wheelock. You know what? I, I wish we could go on forever. Uh, I didn't point it out at the beginning of the show, but I want to point it out now uh, to to you, uh, Josh, and to the rest of our listeners. Um, among other things, uh, Bob Wheelock has not spent his entire career in the United States. He was the London bureau chief for NBC News, and he was always among the first uh, that uh, ABC News would ask to go abroad for a major interview or to the Middle East, uh, where he had great experience, uh, including in the first Gulf War. Uh, it is no surprise to me that you took this challenge and this job, Bob Wheelock, what I'm profoundly glad to hear is that you have confidence in the editorial strength and independence of this news gathering organization that you're running and that it's something that you're, you really believe we should all, you know, give a shake. 
I, look, I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have come here if I didn't believe in it. I did my research. I've, I've not had anyone ever say, you have to do a story this way. You can't do that story. You should do this story. Um, it, it's almost spooky to me sometimes how much editorial freedom I have. Um, it's a pleasure. Um, and I'm not going to, and I'm not going to, you know, try to ask anybody to, you know, add, add their two cents in if they're not willing, but it's been, it's, 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 it is, you know, again, all they ask is that we, we manage our, our product well and try to get the best stories we can and try to show and take, you know, hear from people who normally don't get represented. That's a lot of what we do. We can do that in the United States. There's a lot of people in this country who don't get covered because they live in specific regions or because their you know, their story's been told. Um, there's a lot of stories that haven't been told and, and uh, we hope to tell those. Well, I, I, for one, applaud you for the effort and uh, I will do my best to start looking at America and our politics and our polyoptics through the lens uh, that you all have out there. I appreciate you taking the time, Bob Wheelock. No, thank you both. It's a pleasure to talk to you both. Thanks, Bob. Much appreciated. Thanks, John. Josh, uh, it's it's a different tack to to talk to a a network news producer, uh, and let alone an executive producer like Bob Wheelock. But your experience with the man uh, when you were in the Clinton administration, and him being a, a mentor of mine. It's a special view of, of how the optics of politics actually find themselves uh, inside that, uh, that box we call a television, isn't it? Yeah, you know, Adam, when you, when you come up through politics and into White House communications as I did, but you grew up as a, such a fan and devotee of broadcast news, you take people like Bob and, and his colleagues at the other networks as mentors because all you want to do is tell is use your actor, your character, the president that you work for, to tell a story. And he and his colleagues are the people who take the material, the content that you create, and hopefully package it into something that will tell viewers a story either in the morning or in the evening news. There is uh, a certain affinity that people have for storytelling, and you might end up as a, as a print journalist or a television journalist or, uh, you know, taking a, a path through politics like you did. Uh, on, the, on the Republican side, I've got a friend who joins us right now from, uh, from his place of work in Florida, George Jajikos. Welcome to Polyoptics. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Josh. Thanks for having me. Uh, George is a journeyman uh, advance man, and uh, he's been involved in politics uh, straight out of college, and he never stopped. And he's a storyteller like we like we are, Josh. Uh, he, he's one of those guys that keeps the, the, the band marching. Uh, you, you have a huge event. You have something important that you've got to throw a big asset at, and that's, that's Jujikos. Uh, you've got your own company down there now, uh, Teleon, uh, where you do events and marketing and uh, strategic communications. But let's call you what you are. You are an advanced man extraordinaire who has traveled the world on behalf of U.S. presidents and candidates. And uh, I'm real anxious to get you to talk to us a little about how you got into the business and uh, what it was like on those early days, did you know that you were going to be an advanced man? Did you even know what that was? Uh, Adam, I didn't. I got into the business in a, in a pretty funny way. I was a motorcade driver. 
uh, way back in 1987. Uh, I was still in college at the time, and Vice President Bush, 41, came to Birmingham uh, for a fundraiser. He was uh, had his exploratory committee formed, and I got to be a motorcade driver. And that night in my in my van that I was driving were a few guys, uh, Lee Atwater and Rich Bond and a guy named George Bush Jr., and they were giving me a hard time on the way back to the airport and said, hey, boy, give us your number. You know, if you want to come intern with us, we'll give you a call. And, you know, I gave it to them and never in a million years thought that I would get the call, but a couple of weeks later I did and went up that summer. And uh, the first part of the summer interned for my congressman, the the great Sonny Callahan from Alabama's 1st District, and then spent the rest of the summer uh, at the Exploratory Committee. Uh, from there, you know, we went on to the summer of 88 and the RNC in New Orleans and graduated from college and immediately got a Schedule C appointment and was placed at the uh, Treasury Department in the Office of Travel and Special Events. Uh, keep in mind, I'd never planned an event, never done anything like that before, and my first meeting was a G7 uh, finance minister's meeting. So, so Joshua, a baptism jo- by fire. <laughs> Joshua King, I mean... It's not exactly uh, a, a perfect match, but this is like a republic, a Republican JK, right no, out of very, college, and and, and 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 journeyman like you. It's very similar. I, <clears throat> well, uh, well, George was uh, in Alabama and South. Uh, I was in the Pacific Northwest in that same campaign with Governor Dukakis, and I myself was organizing what I thought was the world's best ever motorcade to go from <laughs> Portland Airport to uh, Portland State University. I did it by going to one of the sororities at Portland State and recruited an entirely female cast surprise, of, surprise. Of, of motorcade drivers. <laughs> and as we were holding outside the venue of a like a 5,000-person rally at Portland State, I, I gathered my drivers together and I said, hey, let's, we've got uh, a celebrity van here. Uh, guest one happens to uh, hold uh, the baggage of one Mr. Rob Lowe. And if we could just maybe take a quick peek inside the bag, maybe we'd give everyone a fun time for having uh, done the motorcade. I'm probably saying a lot more than I should, George and Adam, but <laughs> but there's nothing like beginning your advance work by organizing a motorcade. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, both of you went on uh, with some success and some trepidation to take on more and more responsibility. And George, um, you, you really sort of uh, have moved on every step of the ladder. You have done everything. Talk to me about when you finally felt like you'd made it. What was the event? And you've done some great things, and we're going to talk about one of them from this summer that Josh truly loved from the Romney campaign. But when did you feel like you'd arrived? You were truly an advanced man. Adam, you know, I don't know if you ever feel that you've truly arrived. Um, You know, I even as long as I've been doing this, I still make my mistakes and and learn from every event and every trip. Uh, but, you know, when, when the White House calls and says, George, we want you to, to be the lead for the president's trip somewhere, that's a heck of a feeling to have, to, to, to lead an advanced team for the president of the United States is, uh, is, is quite an honor. And, and the responsibility that goes with that is, can be overwhelming at times. How many of those have you done? Over 100. For how many presidents? Uh, for how many presidents was President uh, George W. Bush? I uh, worked in obviously the the vice president's campaign in '87 and '88, in the Dole campaign, and uh, most recently the McCain and Romney campaigns as well. Before we get to uh, to 2012, what were in, during in that span 
the most opulent surroundings you found yourself as an advanced man, your 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 accommodations, your food, and sometimes the most dire. What's the what's the toughest uh, assignment you you were given? I think the the toughest trip that I did was to to India. Uh, we went with with President Bush, and we were in um, in Hyderabad, and my site there was a agricultural university, where the president was going to go and tour the university, and then literally walk through a farm field that they were plowing. Um, <clears throat> India, and especially Hyderabad, which is in, in south central India, was is not a not a great vacation place, and uh, that was probably the toughest conditions that I have. I had where would you have to stay road. overnight? Where where was your accommodation? Well, the accommodation wasn't bad. It was a Sheraton hotel, which was wasn't too bad. Uh, I think the the other worst was probably uh, best trip. Uh, worst accommodations was in Accra, Ghana, which was a trip that I really really enjoyed. Uh, great people in Ghana, great events, uh, wonderful hospitality. But you know you're still in in Ghana, and. Uh, it was it was tough eating over there. Josh, I was out there on the pre-advance for that trip that Chichikos is talking about in Accra, and uh, you know one of the things that it's going on now the the Africa Cup, the you know, the 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 all of this huge soccer uh, cup that was going on. I mean, Accra in and of itself is very difficult to get around. But George, I mean, there there were just hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people from all over Africa yeah. who were there at the time. And the, the, the smoke that would come from people burning trash by the side of the road, not in one location, but every 100, 200 feet, it was almost impossible to see or to, to breathe. And uh, if you ever got downtown right around dusk, the bats would come out and yep. scare the heck out of you. Remember that? Hundreds, thousands of bats. Thousands, literally tens of thousands of bats uh, every night. Um, you know, Josh has, has, has been the lead on a presidential trip as well. I've never had that opportunity. You guys share that in common as well. Uh, do you, are you able to get in? You get a, blood, a bleeding ulcer when you do that, Josh, or is it just like how do you control the, the stretch and tension of, of being the singular uh, point uh, of leadership on something like that? Uh, I don't know how George feels, but, you know, it depends on on to what, what state of development you're going into, uh, how much work you and your team have to do, uh, how much you have to build it from scratch versus you're just bringing the president to a, uh, a huge convention in Las Vegas. That's pretty pretty much done and dusted. But when you do something like Akragana, uh, like that, you know you are you are really working 22 hours a day. Maybe grab a couple hours of sleep if you can, and it's. George, it's that moment when the wheels up happens that you can really sit back and exhale, right? You're absolutely right, Josh. Uh, you know, thankfully, you know, you work with a great team of people uh, when you're on the road. And, you know, a lot of these, a lot of these people volunteer to do this. And, and they come over and, and they're just great Americans that, that want to serve their country. And, you know, you've got a great team and you rely on them for just about everything and really to make you look good in the end. Uh, but you're you're absolutely right, and it's uh, as soon as that plane takes off, you do a big exhale and you're ready to come home. Best wheels up party? What was it? Uh, you know, I think the best was probably we did a trip in the very beginning. I think 2002 to Vilnius, Lithuania, and the interesting uh, thing of that trip was President Adumkus uh, actually worked for the EPA in Chicago, and when the Iron Curtain fell, he went back to Lithuania and was elected president. So he was just tickled to death that we were all there and that the president of the United States was going to Lithuania. 
And the thing that was special about that trip was we were there to celebrate and honor Lithuania for their ascension to NATO. So after, after the trip, we, we, we got Air Force One, took off, and we were all invited back to the presidential palace for an awards ceremony where the president and the foreign minister presented, I don't know, 40 or 50 uh, medals to Lithuanian dissidents that had helped, you know, Lithuania throughout the years of history and, and their, their past reach the important milestone that they made. And, and we had a heck of a party that night. That was a, that was a great trip and a great way to finish it. When, when I think about uh, my experience uh, over this last year, 2012, and the Romney campaign, George Tajikos, of course, was a, a major advance man. We recently had Will Ritter, the head of operations in advance for that campaign. But leadership in Boston gives way to uh, leadership on the ground. It, it has to. And, it, and, and that kind of leadership comes with vision. And Josh, uh, early on, uh, gave me a big thumbs up and attaboy uh, about an event that I had been talking to him about that we did in Poland. Well, George Jajikos <laughs> was the lead there, and Josh has said many times, George, that it takes vision to figure out how to maximize a great set of steps as a backdrop for a presidential-level event. And a lot of people can do it poorly. You really got out there and convinced people we could do it well in 2012. Will you talk about that briefly? Yeah, just one correction. I was not the lead on that trip. Joey Smith handled the lead for that, and I went over to primarily work on that. So you speech. were working on the site. Forgive I, me. I did the All due credit to Joey. And, uh, yeah, and uh, you're right. You know, we got over there, and we had a couple of venues to look at, and we really chose it was the, the University of Warsaw, their, their public library there. And we walked in, and, you know, we had all kinds of different options. Uh, first was, you know, an old historic building in, in Warsaw. But we were really there, I think, to, to talk about, you know, the new Poland and moving forward and not, you know, while, while honoring the past, looking towards the future there. And we found this library that was really techno-looking with steel beams and a glass ceiling and the steps and all. So we, we did it, and we convinced everybody that we could make it work. Uh, obviously, with a glass roof and TV lights, uh, those things don't mix. So we literally covered the roof with, with tarp so we could get the lighting right. And uh, I think we produced a great event there. Uh, it was not without its its problems and issues, as you know, uh, with with some some different last minute things that happened. And that's when flexibility comes in. Well, Josh, uh, I know that was one of your favorite events. Well, you and I were talking that night, Adam, and I think you sent me some some pre event stills, and I gave you some thoughts on it, and it did remind me of uh, the Schindler Blue uh, that we'd talked about uh, at the inaugural <laughs> a few weeks ago, except this was sort of a Polish Burgundy, if I recall. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, it's uh, taking a president overseas is amazing for the country that gets visited. It's amazing for the community of people with Polish heritage back in the U.S., and they read their, news they read their heritage newspapers, they watch their television that covers mm -hmm. what's happening back home. But it doesn't always break through to the national media, uh, uh, George. And, you know, I just want to ask you kind of a serious question because I've been on this side many times, as has Adam. You put your heart into something. You think you're doing something very important. You think you're allowing Governor Romney to send a very important message. And he does other uh, statutory pieces of the Polish visit. He lays a wreath at the Tomb of the Unknown. Uh, the media pool are asking him questions. 
Rick Gorka is overheard by uh, microphones telling them uh, that this is a solemn place uh, and has a mild expletive. And suddenly, all the work that you've done for the past 10 days is kind of subsumed into whether a traveling press secretary swore at a press pool. How did that kind of make you feel at that moment and, and upon reflection? Uh, you know, at the moment, it is what it is. You've got to focus on your job and, and get through the speech. Uh, you know, when it happened, we didn't we knew about it. We didn't think it would be as big of a deal as it became. Uh, it was all kind of silly, in my opinion. Yeah. But uh, you're right. It, it's kind of like you know, here here we are in, in Poland to to give a major speech on foreign policy, and you know, we're talking about not answering questions. So you know, and reflecting on that, it, it, you know. I don't feel one way or the other about it. You know, it happens all the time when you, you know, there's times, Josh, where you do events and then you see the reporting done afterwards, and it's like, my goodness, were they at the same event that, that we just left? But the the Polish thing was unfortunate. Um, you know, you're right. It was a great event. It was a great speech. It was a great set. The optics were wonderful, and unfortunately, it got overshadowed by by what happened at the Tomb of the Unknown. And it is what it is. You know, you don't feel good about it, but you know, there's nothing you can do about it either. Well, you have to have the right people out there in order to be able to maximize uh, on opportunity and prepare for things that uh, just can't be expected, whether it's abroad or it's here. And that's really at the root of, of what you do every day for your clients. Is there a, a great market? I mean, I know you've made a, a nice living and continue to have uh, lots of great work to do. Uh, but as an advanced man who, who comes out of uh, national politics, are the, is it the big corporations that, that tend to come calling for your, your expertise? No, it's a little bit of both, Adam. Uh, you know, we started uh, Teleon in, in actually in 1999 strictly as an event management firm, a corporate meeting planning firm. And over the years, you know, we've kind of developed into uh, more strategic communications and media relations and obviously operations and logistical support. And But, yeah, I mean, it, it helps to have that background. It helps to have that big worldview when dealing with corporate America and, and, and your clients. But, uh, yeah, I think it's been a great help for the experience and, and the contacts that you've made over the years. Well, Josh King, uh, it's always fun to, to have another one of uh, our brothers on the show uh, the, the jobs that we do uh, while they help and make a big deal uh, in our politics uh, and, and, and that oftentimes you know, leaves us on opposite sides of the fence uh, there's something that binds us all together and George, uh, you've been uh, someone I've learned a lot from and it's really great to bring your voice to Polyoptics thanks for joining us Hey, thanks so much for having me guys, I really appreciate it That's it for another edition of Polyoptics. You hear us each Saturday on SiriusXM Channel 124, POTUS, Politics of the United States. Missed any previous episode? Find them all on polyoptics.com and follow us on Twitter, at Polyoptics. Keep your eyes on the visual, think about how it moves you, and we'll talk about it next week. Thanks for listening. I'm Josh King, and you're on POTUS. POTUS.